Good evening, and welcome to Salt and Light for Radio Tigerberg. I'm Andrea Combs, and with me tonight is my dad, Dr. Peter Hammond. Welcome. Good evening. Tonight we will be discussing reviving the prayer meeting. So, Dad, whatever happened to the prayer meeting? Oh, my, what a question. When I was converted 45 years ago, the prayer meeting in our local church was phenomenal. It was. It looked like most of the men in our local church attended uh, the Tuesday night prayer meeting, and it was vibrant, it was tremendous. And as a new convert brought up from a secular family, it was so exciting to uh, go to the prayer meeting. I wouldn't want to miss it for anything. And I might add, Thursday night was uh, the evangelism explosion evening uh, when we went out door to door. And it looked like a lot of people in the church were involved. And somewhere along the line, um, I, just to give historic context, I was converted in 1977. And the next year, out came something like Rich Man, Poor Man uh, on TV. And suddenly the Tuesday night uh, prayer meeting was suspended temporarily. Um, I think it's still suspended. Uh, they then moved it to a Friday morning, like 6.30 Friday morning. And so the prayer meeting went from being a weekly activity for most of the men in the church to a Friday morning for a few super spiritual gray-haired people who were mostly retired. And um, that where they barely got more than five people. So that was sad. And uh, it looks like what was for centuries a central part of the church's activities has now been, uh, in many cases, sidelined. And what what this uh, uh, really brings to my mind is one of my ministry visits to the Iron Curtain countries back in the 80s, I was told by Dr. Paul Negroot uh, that um, when I was going to preach on that Sunday morning, he said, bear in mind there will be a securitate, a secret police uh, in the congregation. So I said, what does that mean? He says, it means you must preach very clearly the gospel. That way they will be our evangelists because they must report in everything you say. And this way we can reach other communists mm. with the gospel. So, okay. I said, do you know who these people are? I said, yes. I said, how can you tell? And he says, oh, it's easy to spot someone who's not a real Christian. I said, well, tell me because in the West we have a lot of trouble telling the difference between real Christians and fake Christians. He said, it's so easy. A real Christian loves God. A real Christian loves to study the Bible. A real Christian loves prayer. And a real Christian hates sin. I thought, wow, well, there's a four-point sermon for you. And uh, But he then added, we don't count our members by who attends a Sunday morning service. We count our members by who attends a midweek Bible study and prayer meeting. Well, by that definition, I immediately thought some of the biggest churches in Cape Town wouldn't have such an impressive congregation at all when you consider how many attend the prayer meeting. So, yes, I think our friends in Eastern Europe challenged me about the fact that we need to revive the prayer meeting. Yes, well, prayer is certainly not something that our society, at least our Christian side of the society, really focuses on, and it's such a discipline. So how do you think we can revive our own personal prayer life before we even start or join Bible studies? Well, um, one of the ways is, I think, to start in the morning. Uh, the best start mm-hmm. to any day is to start the day with God. Um, one of the first ministries I got involved in was Scripture Union, and uh, they had the principle of Bible before breakfast, which is a very good principle. You know, before you give yourself physical food, make sure you get some spiritual food. And uh, the psalm says, my voice you shall hear in the morning. O Lord, in the morning I'll direct it up to you. I'll look up. There's a lot of emphasis in the Bible about praying 
first thing in the morning. And uh, he awakens me morning by morning. He awakens my ear to hear as the learned. And with my soul of desire to unite, yes, my spirit within you, I will seek you early in the morning. And again, Psalm 92, it's good to give thanks to the Lord, to sing praises to your name, O Most High, to declare your loving kindness in the morning and your faithfulness every night. And so when the barber of German reformer, Professor Martin Luther, asked him in Wittenberg, how can I revive my prayer life? You know, I've, I'm struggling with my devotional life. And Martin Luther, 1535, wrote a simple way to pray, which I've read. And he dedicated to his barber, Peter Beskendorf. His barber asked him for some guidelines and how he can improve his life. And so in response, he wrote this 35-page book, which became so popular that four editions were printed in the first year alone. <laughs> and uh, wow. um, in this simple way to pray, Martin Luther basically says, open your Bible in the middle, the biggest book of the Bible, the Psalms. Mm. Open it. The Psalms are the prayer book of the Bible. The Psalms are the hymn book of the Bible. The Psalms are the most quoted part of the Bible. In the Gospels, Jesus, our Lord, quoted more from the Psalms than any other part of the Bible. And the Psalms are the prayer book, the hymn book, and the biggest book in the Bible, and the middle book for good reason. Mm. Turn to Psalms. When you don't know what to pray, when you don't want to pray, when you don't know how to start, turn to the Psalms and start to make the Psalms your own. Read them, study them, meditate on them, pray the Psalms. And the Psalms will, he says, really galvanize and fire start your prayer life. And mm. he, he then gives other guidelines. He says, our prayers should always be living and powerful and strong, mighty, earnest, serious, troubled, passionate, vehement, fervent, and ardent. <laughs> Martin Luther said, prayer is the hardest work of all. I'm quoting all from his book, um, A Simple Way to Pray. A labor above all labors, since he who prays must wage almighty warfare against the doubt and murmuring excited by the faint-heartedness and unworthiness we feel within us and the unutterable and powerful groaning with which the godly rouse themselves against despair, the struggle in which they call mightily upon their faith. And so he called for audacious prayer, for prayer that perseveres unflinchingly, which ceases not and is well-pleasing to God. And he says, as a shoemaker makes shoes, as a tailor makes coats, so ought a Christian to pray. Prayer is the daily business of a Christian. And so Martin Luther says, what you need is to structure your prayer according to Scripture. So take the Lord's Prayer. It starts with adoration. It goes through confession, then to thanksgiving, then to supplication. Don't start with your requests, with your petitions. Start with adoration, with confession. You're going to a holy God. Thanksgiving. No good asking for new things when you haven't thanked God for what he's already given you. And so uh, this whole idea of acts, adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication use the Lord's Prayer as your basis and pray according to the Ten Commandments. Just consider how have I broken each of the Ten Commandments and not just in violating the don'ts but in failing to do the imperatives, the do's, which is implied in each of them. And pray through the Apostles' Creed, which is great for adoration. I mean, who God is. And, mm. and pray through all the Psalms and make the prayers in Scripture and his prayers scattered throughout Scripture. Make those prayers your prayers and put certain people's names in or put your own name in and and so he said, make the prayers your own prayers. Make the Psalms your own prayers and make the prayers of the Bible your guidelines. And so praying the scripture fulfills the requirement that if you abide in me and my words abide in you, then you can ask whatever you wish and it'll be done for you. Well, that is certainly very inspiring. I know I was raised to 
read the Psalms and Proverbs and Psalms in particular really help inspire your prayer life for sure. And I still keep going back to the Psalms when I do feel my prayer life has grown a bit stale. But Dad, what do you think are the primary hindrances to prayer, especially in today's modern society? Oh my, we, we, we definitely have things that are hindering us. And uh, <coughs> uh, we're living in, in a society which is so hostile to spiritual life. And um, it's, it's as though uh, it's better to do uh, works than it is to pray. And that's the, often the mentality that, that um, you know, what we do is important and what we ask of God isn't so important. So they tend to suggest. So we need to be more earnest. We need to recognize what hinders prayer. And uh, the scripture puts first and foremost, if we refuse to forgive someone, it hinders our prayers. Mark 11, whenever you stand praying, if you have anything against anyone, forgive him. That your Father in heaven may also forgive you, your trespasses. But if you do not forgive, neither will your Father in heaven forgive your trespasses. So unforgiveness, having a bitterness, having resentment, having uh, grudges, this hinders our prayer life. We, we can't pray for anything until we have first repented of that sin and made right. And then heartless selfishness undermines our prayers. Proverbs 21 verse 13 says, Whoever shuts his ear to the cry of the poor and needy will himself cry and not be heard. Mm. So if we are indifferent to the cries of those who are weaker than us, I mean, we should think that includes our pets, it includes the poor, it includes uh, anyone who we may not think is powerful or influential or can't help us. But if we won't listen to them, why should God listen to us? And then sinful motives will enter our prayers. I mean, we read in James 4, you ask and you do not receive because you ask amiss that you may spend it on your pleasures. Adulterers and adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity or hatred towards God? Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of this world makes himself an enemy of God. I mean, wow, that's James 4. So, Obviously, sinful motives or worldliness kills prayer. Uh, either sin will keep us from prayer or prayer will keep us from sin. And fourthly, an unrepented sin can hinder prayer. Isaiah 59, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, nor is his ear heavy that he cannot hear. But your iniquities have separated you from your God. Your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear. For your hands are defiled with blood, your fingers with iniquity, your lips have spoken lies, your tongue has muttered perversity. In fact, the whole of Isaiah 59 just lists the sins in a society or in a person's heart that can separate God. When people say, why is God not blessing our country? Or why are we in this mess? Or, Well, many a time we can just go through and see, we just need to go through 10 commands and that should jog a few memory cells. Uh, by the way, uh, remember it's often said that um, a clear conscience is often a sign of a bad memory. Um, mm. So, fifthly, marital problems will also hinder your prayers. And this may surprise some people, but here we've got 1 Peter 3 verse 7. Husbands, likewise, dwell with your wives with understanding, giving honor to the wife as to the weaker vessel, and as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers may not be hindered. So, there we go. Marital conflicts will hinder your prayers. Mm. Guaranteed. Sadly. So, um, James 1 also speaks of unbelief hindering our prayers. So, let him ask in faith without doubting. 
For he who doubts is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. Let not any man suppose that he'll receive anything from the Lord, for he is double-minded, unstable in all his ways. So unbelief and doubt definitely kill prayer. And lastly, vain repetition. Matthew 6 verse 7, our Lord said, And when you pray, do not use vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think they will be heard for their many words. Mm. So uh, we are definitely to watch out for unforgiveness, selfishness, heartlessness, um, sinful motives, unrepented sin, uh, problems with our marriage partner, unbelief, vain repetitions. These things hinder prayer. Well, I think I can speak for us all who are listening today and say that we can all relate in some way or another to at least one thing on the list you just mentioned. So indeed, before we can even consider being a part of a prayer meeting or reviving our own prayer life, we need to make sure that our hearts are right before the Lord. So, excuse me, going forward, what do you think we can do to restore prayer meetings um, as a central role in the church today and not mm-hmm. just in our own personal lives? I think one thing is to teach on prayer, and there's a lot in the Bible about prayer, and to give some inspiring examples from church history, which I think would also inspire people to know just what some prayer meetings inspired, such as the 1859 revival in Northern Ireland, the 1860 revival mm-hmm. in South Africa, uh, the, the prayer meetings out uh, in Wellington and Worcester, which which led to this phenomenal outpouring of grace in, in the 1860s here in the ministry and time of Andrew Murray, for example. But when we learn some of the examples of how God has worked in prayer, uh, I think that can encourage. Another thing that particularly helped me as a new Christian was being introduced to Operation World. Mm. When I joined the first mission I ever heard of, Hospital Christian Fellowship, I was introduced to prayer. They had an hour of prayer at the beginning of each day. They had half an hour of prayer after every lunchtime. They ended the day with time of prayer. We had prayer days. We had prayer nights. We had all-day prayers and all-night prayers. And uh, one of the things that we used for our prayer meetings was Operation World. And Operation World is the intercessory handbook for the for missions. It's got chapters in every country in the world and on many of the people groups. And each country will tell you something of the history, something of the conditions, and uh, answers to prayer and, and needs for prayer. What's being done, who's doing what, and what's not being done, what needs to be done. And so Operation World is phenomenal. And it directs your prayers outward. Because I'm afraid a lot of our prayer meetings are about me and myself and our needs and which is valid, but it, we shouldn't only stay there. It's so important that there's also prayer meetings that are missionary, that are focused on other countries and people less fortunate than us. It also puts our own problems into perspective. And then we also sometimes need revival prayers where we will especially be focused on the need for God to renew the work and to renew and revive us. So uh, what do we need? I think um, some books on prayer, uh, some Bible teaching on prayer, some examples of prayer, and then we just need to get out there and do it, like Nike's slogan, just do it. So for a family, say there's a family out there listening right now thinking, I want to create more of an environment of prayer in my household. Where would you recommend they start? Hmm. Well, there's, of course, that very inspiring film, War Room, Mm-hmm. which inspired the idea of having a prayer closet and prayer room and maybe a notice board and start pinning up prayers. And, and I think for children, this can get quite exciting when they've, they've got, they write down the prayers or they've got a, a map. And so putting up a map or, and pinning up maybe 
uh, some of the pictures of, of missionary couples you're praying for, families uh, putting up their prayer cards. Um, some people might find, well, the fridge is the best place to use fridge magnets. That's fine. The thing is, I think to have it visual, especially for children, that helps. So I think every church should have a world map and uh, remind us of a world vision. Uh, school classrooms should sh- certainly have, have world maps. And so homeschoolers should have a globe and world maps. And say we, instead of just praying for ourselves, to focus maybe on different days for, we're going to pray for this missionary on this day, we're going to pray for that country on this day, and um, and then, you know, find this country on the ma- on the globe or the map, and um, let's read a bit about what Operation World says. And by the way, there's even the prayer guide to praying for the world uh, done by Patrick Johnson's uh, wife, um, uh, Jill Johnson, put together uh, the, the prayer book for children, which is very helpful. And... Uh, uh, guides you in a way that children can understand for some of the needs mm-hmm. of children in other countries. So these can be useful tools. Um, if people uh, don't have access to the books, they can go on the Operation World website, find Operation World the website, and find different uh, country reports and uh, what to find, uh, pray for. If you know different missionaries, their prayer letters will be a great help. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, especially if, if um, in a family they know a certain missionary family, They've met them, they've been guest speakers, and maybe they've even been uh, at a meal in the house. And now you've got the pictures, now they're, they're praying, you've got the letter, you can read the needs. And uh, that makes it very personal. Mm-hmm. That, that really helps too when, when one knows. And I found it great to be able to, to take uh, different ones of you into the field and to mission stations and uh, where suddenly your vision is broadened and you, you now meet different people and now you've got Zulu friends and it's so much mm-hmm. easier to to pray for other people when you've met them. Yes, absolutely. I think our childhood, I remember praying for lots of different people and going into the field and getting outside of your comfort zone, outside of your bubble, really Mm -hmm. does make a big difference to make you realize you're not the only person out there. Um, Mom always said, you don't live in a vacuum. It's not just you. Um, You need to think outside of Mm -hmm. your needs. So that's a really... Uh, a lot of great ideas for us to take into consideration. Yes, and of course, that's why I got you involved in outreach. And we went to Kailicha and got involved in the soccer matches and mm. the different groups then. Going around, you were deeply concerned about uh, how the pets looked quite mangy and worm-ridden and weren't well looked after. And so I said, right, what can we do about it? And idea came. We got deworming pills from the vet and got uh, e-pole bags and cat cat more and whiskers and, and went around. While I was just doing literature, you were putting out food for pets and giving them deworming pills. And uh, people are quite struck by the fact that, you know, here's these strangers coming to our neighborhood and concerned for our pets. And uh, it's, but the point is you were, you were seeing how some people lived and their needs and put your own problems in perspective. And obviously that would affect one's prayers. So it is important to get out of one's comfort zone. And I would think that many people who may think, oh, you know, missions, that's so far away. Well, not anymore. You you can go just outside your neighborhood and you'll probably find very different cultures. Mm-hmm. You may not even have to go outside your neighborhood to find these days a mosque or people of totally different cultures and religions and languages. And with students from different countries now, it's quite easy to invite someone from another culture and, and continent into your home for your children to meet and understand, oh, this is how people who are Hindus do things. That's how mm-hmm. Muslim people do it. And, and to that'll make them much more missionary focused if they've met some of the people who we need to reach. Yes, that makes a lot of sense. It's um, it's definitely something that I think it's 
it's easy to take for granted the importance of prayer and with the pace that we live in today it's hard to imagine a time where we weren't running around at top speed and we hardly have time to crack open our bible in the morning and i I say that with air quotes time we can always make time for the things that are important so for a church how do you think would be the best way for a church to create an extended time of prayer Right. So, of course, um, at a church, one needs to uh, introduce people to it gradually. You, you can't suddenly, right, we're going to have an all-day prayer meeting today when they haven't even attended the normal prayer meeting. We've got to incorporate um, um, more information prayer. So I see some churches where, first of all, they put up a world map and then they put up um, prayer cards of different missionaries. And, of course, getting different missionary speakers to come and give report backs uh, on the the different areas, that of course helps. Uh, but um, introducing people to Operation World, and the best way is to have as part of your service a country focus. So uh, you assign somebody, maybe a different person each week, if you've got a large enough congregation for that. And, you know, today we're praying for Nepal, and a person gives a few details about it, a couple of prayer pointers, probably from Operation World, unless they're fortunate enough to have someone who's been a missionary there. And, uh, in fact, I know some people who've been missionaries in Nepal, uh, surprisingly. And then you're able to to focus the church's prayers on that, and that's an introduction. So when you start for an extended focus, maybe you should, first of all, aim for an hour-long prayer meeting, which for some people may be a bit frightening. But if we, first of all, break it up into acts, adoration, confession, thanksgiving, and supplication. So that's that's a four uh, break marks, and you might even have a hymn in between each. Uh, you might have some structured prayers for people to start with. Uh, some churches have prayer books, like the Church of England's got excellent uh, Book of Common Prayer, which has many different prayers that can guide people who are not used to praying uh, at long periods of time, and this can guide them with some structured prayers. And uh, of course, you can teach people how to go into the Psalms and appropriate and make the Psalm your own and pray the Psalm, in, uh, inserting names of people you know or countries that you know and so on. So that can help as well. Um, when you've got prayer letters, I remember one thing they did at Hospital Christian Fellowship. We had a basket with prayer letters from different missions that sent us prayer letters. Mm. And uh, it would be you'd have to take one out of the basket. And so mm. you, you might get... a a missionary you know or a missionary that you've never heard of before, and that would be your focus. So, you know, baskets available, you take out a prayer letter and you focus on. Some people have got prayer books where prayer requests are put in, and then they pull out that prayer request book, and uh, when it's answered, it gets a tick or a line through mm-hmm. it and so on. And that's also quite nice to structure. But I think by having a um, a extended prayer focus, whether you're going for an hour or for a day, um, you need to have input uh, you need to have a balance between what the scripture teaches, some principles, a hymn and prayer, spontaneous, extemporaneous prayer and structured prayer, some prayer letter guidelines, operation boards, country focuses, and again, you know, breaking it up with hymns and with um, scriptures. And so that that's more structured, just like you can't start on a marathon race and just get out there and do what your brother Calvin does and suddenly run 20 kilometers. Um, most people are going to um, pack up before the first kilometer is over. Mm-hmm. So we, we have to we have to have milestones and markers. And the adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication structure. Remember, there's lots of prayers in the Bible. Take the teachings on prayer, the commands to pray, some examples, some inspiring 
uh, answers to prayer, prayer letters, operation board. This, it would surprise you, when we had a day of prayer uh, just a few weeks ago, we were surprised when it suddenly was, <coughs> wow, we were already at lunchtime. Well, it was a day of prayer and fasting, so we didn't have lunch. But, but uh, we'd been going for four hours, and it didn't seem that long mm-hmm. uh, when we took our first break. Because it, it was structured with hymns and, and uh, structured prayers and participation as well as spontaneous. And I think that, that makes it very feasible, especially when you've got a, a goal, a focus, whether it is we want to revive our own lives or praying for revival in our church or in our country or responding to national crisis or whether it is praying for rain. I remember the first time I ever experienced a national day of prayer and repentance. I was a new Christian. I was only 18 years old, just left school at the end of the previous year, and we had a drought, and the president called for National Day of Prayer, Repentance, and Humiliation before God, quote-unquote. And everyone had to leave work at lunchtime and go uh, and devote the lunchtime to prayer. And my workplace, which was Oxford University Press at that time downtown Cape Town, was closest to the Mudiker Dutch Form Church, which has got the statue of Andrew Murray outside mm-hmm. at the top of Adley Street. I went in there and church was packed, standing room only. People pouring out the doors and upper gallery, lower, absolutely full. And the earnestness and the prayers. And it was so striking to me because within two days, the heavens opened and the nationwide drought was ended. Phenomenal. And for new Christians, it's just so exciting to see. Mm. And we haven't had national days of prayer called in the last 28, I think 30 years. Not since P.W. Boot have been a day of prayer, so not since the 1980s. And it's worse in Britain. They haven't had National Day of Prayer called since the Second World War. Australia as well. So uh, National Days of Prayer used to be called when there was a national crisis. As 2 Chronicles 7.14 says, If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from the wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven. I will forgive their sin and heal their land. So 2 Chronicles 7.14 gives a very nice structure for prayer right there. I agree. Now, there may be some people listening today who think, I have so many problems of my own. Why should I be expected to pray for others rather than just my own needs? Well, we're part of a body, and um, I think it puts our own problems into perspective because, you know, there's always people with more problems than I've got. And um, there's, um, there's a humility and there's a love for our neighbor and doing to others what we want to be done unto. And when we reach out and we show love for others, then uh, we will... Um, possibly also experience that from others too. So I think it's very good to to stop and also pray for others. That doesn't mean that we shouldn't also seriously focus on what we've got to resolve in our own lives and families. But there we have it in the Lord's Prayer, our Father. It's not just my Father, mm. our Father. Community is right there. And so following the Lord's Prayer is an excellent um, structure to begin with. Well, there's no doubt that our the, in Bible times, it was a community-oriented society, whereas now it's a lot more individualistic. So it's really important for us to remember the roots of our prayer life and our mm-hmm. spiritual life. Are there any other final thoughts you have for us today? Yes, I, I did write the book, The Power of Prayer Handbook, um, inspired by all these different things. And it's got a chapter summarizing Martin Luther's How to Revive Your Prayer Life and How to Pray the Psalms and Prayers for Justice and Extended um, uh times of prayer and prayers of national repentance and uh, all kinds, you know, prayers that will change your life and uh, the best start. So uh, 
this Power of Prayer Handbook, which Reverend Earl Stegen wrote the foreword for, um, is one of our books that helps, and it's also available as an ebook. But um, if you go onto any missions uh, website, you should see a lot of guidance for prayer. Ours is Frontline Mission. SA.org, frontline mission, SA.org, and you'll find some guidelines for prayer right there, including prayer posters for the Middle East, for Sudan, Zimbabwe, and other countries. Well, that definitely sounds like an excellent resource. Thank you, Dad. Today, we were discussing reviving the prayer meeting. This is Salt and Light for Radio Tigerberg. I'm Andrea Hammond. With me tonight was Dr. Peter Hammond. Thank you, and God bless. Good night. <laughs>